Hey, New City family. Thank you for coming to listen to this week's message. This is AJ Farthing, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New City. Our mission is to see Jesus change lives and reach the world. We want you to be a part of that movement by helping you grow as a disciple and encouraging you to share with others. So be sure to share this with someone you know to help encourage them. If you happen to live in the Tampa area, come check out our church on Sunday mornings at 920 or 11 a.m. You can find the information and other resources on our website, newcitytpa.com. I pray this message encourages and challenges you in your faith, and you take this message and share it with those in your life. If you're here for the first time today, uh, I'm so thankful that you're here with us and you've decided to worship with us today. We hope and pray that week after week you would find um, just renewal in Jesus, that your heart and soul would be restored here today. Um, before we jump back into the book of Luke and uh, really begin to see a major transition uh, in the book, uh, I want to uh, speak about our four-year birthday, which is next week. Yeah, praise the Lord. Super excited. Four years of God's faithfulness. You know, there are, there are, there are a few big days in the life of our church. There's the obvious Christmas and uh, Easter. Uh, but then as a close third is the anniversary of our church. And the reason we make such a big deal about our, our anniversary is because it just reminds us of the Lord's faithfulness. And it's also a regular reminder of why we exist. Uh, it, it reminds us of our purpose and our calling. And, and year after year, it has just proven to be a really big celebration for us um, and this year in our morning services, we're going to have baptisms in the morning. Um, and so if you want to be baptized next week, let's talk. Uh, but then also on Sunday night, we're going to celebrate just by sharing a meal together. Uh, and we're going to follow that up with a night of prayer and worship um, just to simply praise the Lord for all that he's done. Uh, and then beg God just to continue to move uh, and, to, and to work. Uh, beg God for more to save and to continue to restore. Um, if there's anything that has been true for our church from the very beginning, it's that we are utterly dependent on the power of God. Like we are a praying people and we are uh, just desperate for God to move among us. And if you've never been to a night of prayer and worship, um, you've got to come. These nights have proven to be just monumental in the life of our church. These have just become a major part of who we are and, and how we've gotten to where, where we are. And if you ask me how we got to where we are today, I would just simply point to these nights of prayer and worship. Now, there's something just very special about the body of Christ coming together and just crying out to the Lord in prayer. And so next Sunday, all day long, is a Sunday that you do not want to miss. Baptisms, we're going to have dinner, uh, prayer and worship, and then uh, there may even be a small party favor for all those that come back on Sunday night. Now, it's going to be a full-on celebration. Uh, and so along those lines, uh, it's also a great Sunday just to invite a friend uh, that may be looking for a church family. It's going to be a Sunday that's just going to give a really big insight to who we are uh, and, to, and to where we're going, which means um, we're going to make a really big deal about Jesus and the mission of God um, and the gospel. Uh, what we do here, we make disciples, we multiply churches, we mobilize missionaries, uh, and we make a really, really big deal about Jesus. Um, so these, again, these days, are, they're not built to toot our own horn, uh, but rather to give all the glory back to the Lord and to celebrate just God's goodness and his faithfulness. Um, but that's next week. This week, um, we come to just a major transition uh, passage in the book of Luke uh, where Jesus is being tempted by the devil. 
This is a historically popular passage. Um, uh, There's been a bunch of books that have been written on this. Some of my favorite books on spiritual warfare come out of this text. You know, I could preach this text five different times and go in five totally different directions. It is just incredibly helpful and insightful into just spiritual warfare. You know, over the past several weeks, we kind of really have been diving into the book of... uh, uh, We've just seen all the, the, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, seeing angels and prophecies and just seeing the Spirit of God at work. And last week, we saw John the Baptist prepare the way for Jesus, calling people into repentance. And before we got to the genealogy, we saw Jesus get baptized and we saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him. And before we get into our main idea today and ultimately kind of where we're going, I want you to hang with me for a second because I want to have a quick side note on baptism and then I want to have a little bit of a Bible geek moment, okay? Um, Just looking at the order and structure of Luke. So first, just a quick side note from our, uh, just from our text from last week. Uh, if you're wondering why you should be baptized next week, you know, I guess we could say first, just as we saw last week, that Jesus, Jesus was baptized. Uh, even Jesus was baptized by immersion, so following his lead, we want to be like Jesus and uh, get baptized by fully going under the water. And then secondly, around those same uh, lines, the Bible commands us to be baptized. Over and over again in the scriptures, we see the call to believe and be baptized. Baptized, uh, it's the first step of obedience in the life of a believer. So we get baptized just as an act of submission to the Lord. It's an act of obedience to God. And then thirdly, it is just very simply a public declaration of faith. We are declaring to the world that we are now followers of Jesus, that the old life is gone, and then we are in the new life in, uh, in Christ. It's, and it's, it's a big deal. We, we celebrate baptisms. We make a really big deal about baptisms. Again, baptism, it does not save you. It is simply just an outward declaration of an inward reality, and we celebrate, and we scream, and we rejoice, and we worship the Lord as we do it. So if you haven't been baptized, and you consider yourself yourself a follower of Jesus, we would love to talk to you about being baptized potentially next week. Uh, So that's the quick side note. Get baptized. Uh, Now let me geek out for a second. Last week, again, we saw that Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And then interestingly enough, we saw a long list of names in the we call the genealogy at the end of chapter 3. And it seems a little bit like a commercial break in the story of Jesus, but it's not. The genealogy, it's important. And so I want to point out uh, just the uniqueness of the placement of the genealogy as it relates to our text. Uh, Because the Gospel of Mark uh, and John, just fun fact, they don't have a genealogy. uh, But the Gospel of Matthew, it begins with a genealogy. But Luke's Gospel, the, the, the book that we're studying, It actually is, as we've seen, it starts by telling the extended birth story of Jesus, and then it shows us Jesus as the boy in the temple. It shows us John the Baptist kind of preparing the way, and then we see the genealogy. In many ways, it shows a major transition in the Gospel of Luke, Um, but I want you to notice that in Matthew's genealogy, it ends with Jesus, but in Luke's Gospel, it starts with Jesus, and then it works all the way back to Adam um, in the garden. And if you remember the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, we have to ask, who did Adam and Eve encounter in Genesis chapter 3? Well, they encountered the the serpent. They encountered the the devil. And what did the serpent do? Well, the serpent deceived them. The serpent tempted, tempted them to have what they could not have. 
the devil tempted them to eat the fruit, and as we know, unfortunately, they gave in and they ate the fruit. And so here, immediately after the genealogy um, that kind of goes down memory lane and it ends with Adam, we immediately see in the very next verse, we pick up in chapter 4, verse 1. And this is what it says. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. So there's there several things I want to point out here. But the first thing I want us to see is that it shows us Jesus being tempted by the devil right uh, before he starts his ministry. And then following the genealogy that ends with Adam, the reader, we should be thinking, hey, remember way back when when the devil tempted Adam to eat the fruit? And remember how it didn't go so well. And hey, remember way back when, if, we, if you've read the, book, if we've read the book of Numbers, when the spies spent 40 days in the land declaring victory of those that had inhabited, and they didn't trust the Lord, they didn't trust his promises, uh, so God had them spend 40 years wandering in the desert, eating uh, manna or bread from heaven provided by the Lord. So these are the things that would have been on their mind as we come into our text today. And so the fact that Jesus in this moment is being led by the Lord into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, this is highly significant. Like Luke is connecting the dots for us, showing a major difference between the first Adam and the second Adam, which we just sang about. Luke calls the first Adam from back in uh, Genesis, he calls him the son of God. And we, and we know Luke's good friend, the apostle Paul, calls Jesus the second Adam. And so Luke is comparing the people of God in Israel wandering through the wilderness in their doubt and unbelief and in their grumbling. He's comparing them to Jesus in the wilderness as hungry and being tempted. And this is very significant for how we're going to steal the rest of our, how we steer the rest of our time, because this is what we're not going to do. I'm not going to give us three steps uh, to overcoming temptation, because that's, the, that's not what this is about. Yes, we can help with that, but that's secondary. No, we don't, we don't only need to be stronger and try harder to fight temptation because in the long run, it just it doesn't work. It doesn't last. We need something more in our life than just pure willpower. And I'm also not going to say Jesus overcame tem temptation, so let's all be like Jesus and overcome temptation. It also doesn't work like, it doesn't work like that either. Jesus, because he was God. And so, yes, we do want to be like Jesus and overcome temptation, but we have to realize Jesus was God and we're not. But we certainly can learn from him and ask, what's the fuel? How, how can we overcome temptation? Because just pulling ourselves up by the uh, bootstraps and, and with pure willpower and trying harder, it didn't work for the first Adam. It didn't work for, uh, for Israel in the wilderness, and it certainly won't work for us. Like, there has to be something more. And ultimately what we're going to see today as our main idea is that Jesus has the power to overcome sin and temptation, which for us is just really good news. And, and I hate to ruin the narrative for you, but we'll see Jesus tempted three times in three different ways, and all three times he wins the battle. He overcomes the devil's temptations. And, but as we think about this idea of overcoming sin and temptation, I think we can all agree that there's not a person on this planet that doesn't understand the idea of, hey, I, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I want to do it anyways. It's like, I know what I'm about to do is not right, and it's not good for me, and I'm going to regret it later, 
but I'm going to do it anyways. I mean, kind of, I mean, kids learn this at a young age. They know they're supposed to listen to mom and dad and doing what they want, but doing what they want to do, that just seems like the better option. Or maybe the thought is, I, I know I shouldn't cheat on the test. Or I know I shouldn't get drunk or buy that thing I can't afford. Or I know I shouldn't lie right now or yell at my kids or hit my brother or sister, but I'm going to do it anyways. I know I shouldn't go do that thing or be with that person that keeps bringing me down, or I know I'm trying to break my social media addiction or that bad habit or that destructive sin pattern, but I want to do it anyways. Whatever that thing is that we know we need to stop or avoid or change, but yet we secretly or maybe not so secretly still kind of like it, that's temptation. And this is what I know to be true about temptation. You can say no 99 times out of 100, but that one, one time we say yes, we've still fallen into temptation. We've given in. Like me being 99% faithful to my wife is 100% unfaithful. Cheating on one question on a test is still cheating on a test. I can tell the truth 99 times and lie once, but I still lied. Again, there's not a person on this planet that doesn't understand the, uh, the struggle of temptation. We all do. This is just part of the world that we live in. We live in a world that is at war. We live in a world where there is good and there is evil. There is God and there's God's enemy. And what we know as Christians is that there is only one person on the planet who has never given into temptation, and his name is Jesus. And so one of the questions we have to ask today is how do we overcome temptation? Yes, Jesus did it, but how do we do it? Because, again, we're not God. And yes, discipline is helpful. Putting up safeguards, it's wise and good. And having accountability, again, it's good for us. That all goes with it. But we must see today is that those are all secondary to what is primary. We need more than that. Because interestingly enough, the way in which we'll see Jesus overcome the temptation of the devil was not through greater discipline or safeguards or accountability. Yes, Jesus was, was disciplined, but he also, in, he was in the most vulnerable place he could possibly be in, and it wasn't his discipline that drove him. No, Jesus was driven by his love of God. Jesus overcame temptation of the devil in the wilderness through all in worship of God. Jesus overcame temptation because his love for God was greater than his love for what the devil offered him. And what we'll see, and, and we see that because every response that we'll see Jesus make was an act of submission to God's word and to God's will. Jesus is just, a, like he just is meditating and memorizing God's word and he's just calling out God's word. Y'all, we have to agree that when we sin and we give in to temptation in those vulnerable moments, our love for what we want is raging at us. And in those moments when we give in, our love for what we're being tempted by in that moment, it's greater than our love for God. And, I, and no, it doesn't mean we don't love God. It just means in that moment, in those weak moments, our love for what the devil has to offer is greater. That's sin. That's how sin works. We choose the devil's ways over God's ways. And unfortunately, this happens to each of us. But as we'll see, Jesus, he knew the better portion. Even in his weakest moment, even in those subtle moments of, experience, of experiencing human weakness, Jesus chose the Father over what the devil offered him. And so, yes, we say, um, let's be like Jesus and we resi resist temptation. That's a must. But we also need to say more than that because simply uh, just resisting isn't enough. It won't last. And so let's dive back into this. We're going to go back through the text again. Look at uh, the first two verses again because I want you to notice something before we kind of get to our first three, our three points for today. This is what it says. 
And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And so I want you to notice that Jesus, he was, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And I want to make sure that you heard that right. Because what we don't see the devil, we, we don't see the devil out looking for Jesus in this moment. No, the Holy Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness where he would then find the devil and his temptations. And the reason this is happening is not because God was trying to set Jesus up for failure or to be mean or to see Jesus suffer, but rather because God had a bigger picture in mind. You know, in many ways, God sent Jesus into the wilderness to show the beginning of his grand rescue mission and to display the spiritual war at hand. God sent Jesus into the wilderness to show Jesus uh, what he came to rescue his people from. I, I love how Martin Luther said it. He said, God sent Jesus into the wilderness to put the devil on notice. Basically saying, hey, little devil, uh, I'm here and your time's about up. New City, God sent Jesus into the wilderness because he knew that you and me, in our sin and rebellion, we often find ourselves in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. It's his notice to the devil on our behalf that we have the power to overcome. You know, when we see Jesus in the wilderness in this text, everything screams towards Hebrews 2, 18. It says, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I mean, just, just imagine the scene. At the end of chapter 3, before the genealogy, again, Jesus was baptized. The Holy Spirit came upon him. God said to him, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And we read the genealogy kind of as a break in the scene. And then uh, we read chapter 4, verse 1, where Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. Life is good. He's rejoicing in the Lord. I just imagine him singing his favorite worship song, dancing before the Lord, loving life. And God's like, hey, go into the wilderness. And if God said that to me, I think my first thought would be, well, what happened to all that beloved son talk we were talking about back in chapter three? Like, God, I, I thought you were pleased with me. What happened? But that's not what Jesus does or says. No, he obeys the Lord and he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. It says he spent 40 days without food. It's almost six weeks without eating. And at this point in a fast, this is a time of crisis. You know, commentators have said he likely felt like he was sinking. Like Jesus felt like he was uh, literally about to die. And likely it says he was having like a ravishing hunger that physically convulsed him. This isn't like I forgot to eat breakfast type of hunger. No, this is I'm lying on the floor about to die type of hunger. So that's the state that Jesus was in. He was, he was in a very low weak moment, in a, in humanly speaking. And why was he there? Because he obeyed God. And God led him to that place. Because we have to remember, this is Jesus' last and final preparation before he begins his ministry. God was not doing this to torture Jesus, but to prepare Jesus. God was doing this to show Jesus what he was up against and to give Jesus a physical understanding and a real life experience of the fallenness of humanity and the realness of the enemy. And it shouldn't surprise us that soon after Jesus was baptized and was made full of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus' final preparations for ministry were to be led into extreme struggle. New City, this is the way God works. Before God makes a leader, he breaks a leader. 
Before God raises someone up, he sends them down to their knees in dependence on the Lord and to cry out to the Lord. Before God does a mighty work through us, he then does a deep work in us. This is just the way God works. And in all honesty, if a leader doesn't lead with a limp, I think I'd be a little hesitant to follow their lead. And any leader that habitually depends on themselves and their own power and strength is a leader that we should not follow. Y'all, God's means for ministry preparation, it's hardship, it's pruning and struggle that sends us to our knees and it causes us to cry out to the Lord for help. He did it with Jesus and he'll do it with us. And so yes, Jesus, the son of God, before he began his ministry was sent out into the wilderness and he was faced with extremely challenging circumstances. And in many ways, uh, in this, we're seeing the humanity of Jesus. We know that Jesus was, yes, he was fully God, but we also see in our text that he was fully human. He experienced real human hunger and real hardship. New City, this is our God. He knows our struggle. And so let's look at the first, three, the first of three temptations. Look at verse three. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And so in each of these three temptations, we'll get a window into the devil's tactics. You know, he saw that Jesus was in the wilderness and he was extremely hungry. And what did the devil do? Well, he alluded to his hunger. He found his pain point and the devil pressed into it. Again, this is how the devil works. This is what the devil does. He finds us in our low point. He finds us in our pain. He finds us in our weakness when we're serving the Lord and walking in his ways, walking in obedience. And then he, the devil looks at us and says, hey, look over there. Look at, look, that looks a little bit more fun. That looks a little bit better. That looks a little easier. That over there, that doesn't look as hard. Hey, look, there's less pain and sacrifice over there. Uh, just mosey on over there. Maybe it won't be so bad. See, the devil sees us in the hard and he tempts us with the easy. Showing us, number one, the first temptation, the temptation of comfort. The devil saw that Jesus was uncomfortable in his hunger and was encouraging him to leave what was hard and to go towards what was easy. And what I find interesting about this specific temptation is that the devil wasn't asking Jesus for, to, to do anything necessarily bad or sinful in its own regard. In a lot of ways, he was just asking Jesus to prove his sonship, to prove he's the son of God, to do a miracle, to feed himself. And I mean, these are things, uh, by, like all these things by themselves are not necessarily sin. We see Jesus in his ministry. He proves his sonship. He does miracles. He eats with people. None of these things are bad. But yet, that's not what God led Jesus to do. God was preparing Jesus for ministry. God was teaching Jesus what it's like in a human body, experiencing human struggle, and he was showing him what it looks like to depend on the Lord in, a, in the human flesh. And the devil is saying, no, don't depend on the Lord. Get out of this discomfort and find your comfort in the physical world. And what does Jesus say back? Look at verse 4. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus, so he acknowledges to the devil, yes, I know I need food. I, I know God made humans to eat as a basic need, but really we need more than that, he knows, because we don't just need physical food, but spiritual food. We need real soul food. Yes, our bodies experience hunger, but so do our hearts and souls. And Jesus is saying, in this moment of extreme discomfort, my heart and soul is being fed by the Lord. He's, he's, he's feasting on the Lord in the wilderness and feasting on the Lord's words, on the scriptures. The New City, this is, this is part of the beauty of fasting. 
Listen, if you've, if you've never done a fast for the, the purpose of finding dependence on the Lord, maybe fasting from a meal or for a few days or maybe even uh, ext- maybe an extended fast, uh, maybe this could be a blessing to you. And, and yes, I want to encourage you to first talk to a medical professional and then maybe consider uh, a season of prayer and fasting just to ignite your heart and soul for the Lord. Uh, you know, we do this every year uh, for, the, for the weeks leading up to Easter as a church. For 21 days, we, we fast and pray during those days. And it looks different for everyone. But during those days, we're intentionally praying for God to move. And maybe this year, uh, maybe you'll just pray and consider joining us. Or, or maybe you do it now. But if you have, and maybe if you have a big decision, or maybe if you're trying to overcome an ongoing sin, or maybe if you're just trying to reignite your love for Jesus, maybe consider a fast of some sorts. And the reason we fast like this is to show that our greatest need is Jesus. To remind ourselves that we don't live for the comforts of the world, but for the comforts we find in Jesus. And what is our most basic physical necessity? Well, it's food. When we experience a physical hunger and fasting, its purpose is to find comfort in the the Lord through prayer in the word and to cry out to the Lord and just to feast on the Lord's goodness. The purpose of fasting is to reorient our lives to Jesus and to help us remember that our comfort is not in this world, but it's in Jesus. Because we all know a bit too well, I think, how easy it is to find satisfaction and comfort in the physical world. Uh, What makes all of this so interesting and intriguing is that, again, physical comforts are not always bad. But yet what Jesus and the devil are showing us here in in our text is that it's incredibly tempting to find our ultimate comfort in the world and not in the Lord. And so maybe ask yourselves, what, what are you tempted to find comfort in other than Jesus? Is it a substance? Is it a food? Is it an activity? Is it a person, money, approval, success, material things? What is it? And maybe God is leading you to maybe a, some, some sort of fast uh, because of these things. And again, just pray and ask, God, are you leading me to a season of fasting uh, so that maybe we won't find comfort in other things, but rather in the Lord? So how did Jesus overcome the temptation of comfort? We found his comfort in God, and he was feasting on the goodness of God. Look, let's look at the next temptation, starting in verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So the devil couldn't uh, tempt Jesus with comfort and food, so what did the devil do next? We took Jesus up in what seems kind of like a a Lion King moment um, when Mufasa takes Simba up to the top of the mountain and shows him all all the animal kingdoms. Well, the devil here takes Jesus up and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. It says, you can have all of this if you worship me, which I find interesting because, one, it's a lie. The devil, the devil doesn't own all those kingdoms. They're not his kingdoms to give away. But two, I think we should, be, we should be thinking, well, isn't Jesus the king? Isn't God the king of, uh, God the father, king, king over all of it? And so maybe we should be asking, why is this tempting to Jesus? And the reason the devil is trying to tempt Jesus with all the power and authority is because the devil knows that Jesus submits to God the father and the devil doesn't like it. And in reality, this is just how the devil tempts us. I mean, just think about how from Jesus's, uh, from Jesus's perspective. I mean, at this point in time, Jesus, no, he doesn't have uh, an, any earthly rule over all these kingdoms. Like technically speaking, Caesar is king and all the other kings are ruling over all the other kingdoms of the world at this moment in time. And the devil is tempting Jesus with power 
that doesn't come with a bloody cross. The devil's tempting Jesus with authority that doesn't come with sacrifice. He's trying to give him power and control that doesn't have the hard work of the crucifixion. And one of the reasons this was a temptation for Jesus is because, again, this same struggle is a temptation for us. This is part of being human. God created us to lead and to have dominion over creation. As we see in Genesis, it's part of our natural wiring that God has put in us, leading us to number two, the temptation of power and control. You know, God, he, God made us to lead and to rule and to create and to cultivate. God created us to use our God-given gifts to make the world a better place and to do it in a powerful way. But unfortunately, we try to gain that power working outside of God's will. You know, the temptation we all face is the question of will we seek to take power or are we going to yield to God's power? Will we, have, uh, will we live for our will or God's will? And Jesus, he was yielding to God's will, but it came with a cost. It led him to be hungry in the wilderness. God's will came uh, with having to wait. God's will came with needing to be patient. It also came with the bloody cross. It came with being rejected and shamed and betrayed at the cross. New City, the power that comes from God's will, it is not the easy path, but it is the good path. The control that comes from the devil is the easy path, but it's the path that leads to destruction. You know, husbands, God has called us to lead in our marriage, but we have to ask whose desire and will are we going to lead with? Are we going to lead with God's will or our will? Leaders of ministries or organizations or teams, you know, God has called you to lead, but whose kingdom are we leading to build? God's kingdom or our kingdom? We could go on and on about this. Who's holding the keys of our life? Is it us or is it the Lord? And what did Jesus do in this moment? He said, uh, no, no way am I following you, Satan. He's going to worship and follow the Lord. Look what he says. Verse 8. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And as we think about this, the, the temptation of power and control, no, we're not, we're not tempted, or at least I'm not, with all the kingdoms of the world. I've never been offered that. But maybe we're tempted with wanting influence or, uh, and so we act or dress or spend money in a way we try to, tries to gain power. Or maybe our struggle uh, for power and control, maybe it comes just in our parenting. Like there's a difference between controlling our kids to make our kingdoms easier uh, versus discipling our kids towards God's kingdom. I mean, this could play out a thousand different ways. And ultimately as Christians, God calls each of us to do a lot of things. God calls us to share our faith and to live generously and to not forsake gathering together and to make disciples and to love and serve others and to get baptized and to live a pure and holy life. Any sort of rebellion against these things, that is a power struggle. Because again, no, we're not tempted with the kingdoms of the world, but guess what? We are tempted to rule over our kingdom and to be the ruler of our own life every single day. And here Jesus is saying, no, we follow the Lord. We worship the Lord. We serve God, not ourselves. And so we must ask, whose kingdom are we living for? Are we living for our kingdom or are we living for God's kingdom? Well, there's so much more we could say here, but we need to keep moving. So number one, we saw the temptation of comfort. Number two, we saw the temptation of power and control. Let's look at our last and final temptation here. Look starting in verse nine. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. 
So the devil couldn't comfort Jesus. The devil couldn't release power to him. So what did the devil do? Well, he put Jesus up on the temple. Someone said this is about 450 feet up in the air and says, and he says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from there. And then knowing what Jesus has been doing this entire time, using God's word as a means of uh, just fe- to feast on the word, as a means of protection. Uh, the devil, um, he uses God's word as a means to, uh, like, to, uh, to use it against Jesus. He uses God's word against him, or at least tries to. He took the scriptures and he twisted them to see if Jesus would listen to him. Like saying, like, won't the angels guard you? Well, that's what God's word says, so maybe you should jump and see. Basically saying, do you trust God's word? He's asking him, do you believe God will protect you? Do you believe God loves you? If you do, we'll do as the scriptures say and jump and see. I mean, just think about this third temptation. Jesus, he, again, he was up on top of the temple in a pretty dangerous situation. Uh, what should have been a fearful uh, event for the average human being, Jesus, he did not fear. But in that same moment, the devil was testing him to see if he really trusted the angels. The devil was testing Jesus to see if he trusted God's word, if he believed God cared about him. And Jesus, he totally rejected the entire premise because look what he said back to him, verse 12 and 13. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him into an opportune time. So Jesus basically just ignored everything the devil said. The devil got fed up and left and uh, he kind of began his eternal losing streak against Jesus. That's what the devil does. He punches, uh, but he has never, he can never, and he will never defeat Jesus. Jesus, he's just a total, I mean, uh, the devil is a total loser, not Jesus, okay? Jesus wins. But as we see this final temptation, no, Jesus, uh, he, he didn't give in. It didn't work, uh, but it does give us insight into how the devil punches it gives us insight and uh, in uh, how he works with us. And it's number three, the temptation of doubt and fear. Again, this is what the devil does. He puts us in hard situations like he did with Jesus. He put him way up high, hanging up on the temple while he was in this extreme state of hunger to experience the reality of human fear. And in that moment of human fear, the devil was trying to make Jesus doubt the love and care and protection of the Lord. The devil was trying to make Jesus doubt the goodness of God and the promises of the word of God. And yes, we see that Jesus, he totally rejected all fear and doubt. Jesus rejected any sort of test, trying to get Jesus to doubt the goodness of God and the word of God and trying to get him to doubt his loving protection. But church, I don't know about you, but I'm not God. I'm not perfect. And I certainly can find myself in moments of fear and doubt. Just wondering, God, what are you going to do? Just fearfully wondering, God, how can you turn this around? Maybe, God, when is all of this going to turn for the better? I often find myself saying, God, I, I know you hold the whole world in your hands, but right now, in this moment, it certainly does not seem like it. God, what are you doing? Where are you? Why are you not helping me right now? Have you ever been there? I have. Questioning and doubting the goodness of God. Like this is a real human struggle. This is a real and true temptation. And you know where it comes from? It comes straight from the mouth of the devil. This is what the devil does. He lies, he twists, he deceives, and he inserts thoughts into our minds that say, God doesn't love you. 
He says to us, God doesn't care about you. You can't trust him. Why don't you just jump and see what happens and you'll, and, and you'll see that he doesn't care. And New City Church, this is a lie from the pit of hell. Because the God of the universe, he sees you, he knows you, and he deeply loves you and me. And his love is not dependent on the outcome of our life, but rather his love is dependent on the outcome of the crucifixion. New City, the goodness of God is not based on our current struggle, but our eternal standing that says no matter where you are today, if you are in Christ, if you have put your faith in Christ, you will be with God in paradise forever and ever. And why is that? Because the same God that overcame the temptation of the devil in the wilderness defeated that same devil once and for all by overcoming the, uh, the grave and he rose from the dead. Jesus defeated it all. And that same God that overcame the wilderness and overcame the grave, if you call Jesus Lord, that same God is living inside of you and he is declaring you today, you are an overcomer. He said, this says to the devil, you can tempt me today, but you better get back on your ear because watch what God can do through the power of the gospel that is living inside of me. And when we start to believe that we're not good enough or that God is not for us, or fear that God is absent. You know what we do in those moments? We say, get behind me, Satan. Today I'm walking in faith and I'm gonna trust in the goodness of God even when I can't see it. And you know what the devil does in that moment? Well, he does exactly what he does in, that, in our passage. He runs, he flees. And what, when the devil runs in fear, what do we do? We turn and worship the Lord. We delight in the goodness of God. New City, listen, like we don't overcome temptation by looking at the temptation and putting our hands over our eyes and saying, uh, run, run, no, 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 don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. That's not how it works. No, the way we overcome temptation is by punching the devil square in the nose and running wholeheartedly and unapologetically to the Lord and worshiping him for his goodness. Well, how do we punch the devil in the nose? Well, we regularly just go to the word of God. We gather regularly with brothers and sisters in Christ. Like we need each other. We need our groups. We need accountability. We need all those things. We need people in our life. We need to regularly devour the word of God. And we need to regularly sing the truths of, of, the, of, of God and pray and, and build our faith. And I want to say again, yes, we do put up safeguards. We seek to be wise. And yes, we resist the devil. That is our defense. But even more so, our offense is to run to Jesus and to run to the word of God. Like we grow our love for the Lord. We devour the word. We delight in God through prayer. And you know what? As our love for the Lord grows more and more, and the more we're amazed by the love of God, the less tempting all those other things will be. And will we be perfect? No. But will we sin less and less over time? Yeah, I think so. Because again, how did Jesus overcome these temptations? Well, Jesus, he fully understood he fully knew the goodness of God in all times and he lovingly and with delight submitted to his word and to his will and you know what when we fall into temptation because we are human we're broken in those moments we must know and remember that Jesus sees us and he does not shame us Jesus, he does not reject us. And he says, get back up. Let's keep going. Don't look back. Look to me and run to Jesus and delight in my goodness again today. And Jesus says to us, let my power shine through you again today. New City, that's our call today. 
very simply, we just run to the Lord. We delight in his goodness. And we say, God, you are my overcomer. I need you today. Would you delight in the goodness of God with me as we sing and pray? God, let's pray. Let's, God, we're so thankful for how good you are. We are a needy, needy people. But God, you look at us and you love us. When we've fallen into sin and temptation, we've, when we've struggled, God, because of the cross, you look at us and say, you are fully forgiven. Get up and delight in my goodness. God, we are desperate for your help. Would you come and, and, and work in our hearts? Would today be a day when we can look back and say, God, today was a turning point in my life. God, we need to, be, we need to turn back to you day after day. Would we, would we do that today again? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.